0: Hey, can you turn your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 12? We're going to continue our study. And Jesus in Genesis, again, this is in broad strokes. So, uh, invariably, I will miss something that's important to you that's not on purpose. It's just trying to fit in with the the broad strokes. Uh, So, Jesus in Genesis, we're talking about Abraham, Sarah, Jesus. And a promise is a promise. why is that so important? when God makes a promise, especially an everlasting promise, it will happen. He will bring it to pass he 's made a promise to me as a believer. He has promised to forgive me of my sins he has promised to uh, bring me home to be with him in heaven forever and ever and it 's an eternal it 's an everlasting promise in the meantime, I constantly mess up and challenge the promise and and yet somehow he works it out that, yep, I'm back on course and I'm with him. Today he makes an impossible promise to this couple and they mess up along the way and yet in the end he pulls it off. So Abraham is one of the most unique people in all the Bible because he's the only man that we know of who was honored by Jews and Christians and Muslims as the father of the faith. Because Ishmael, the father of the Muslims, was born through Abraham. Now, he laughed out loud. Here's Here's the man of faith. Here's the father of the faith. And yet, he hears this promise and he has to laugh out loud. So, our outline this morning is very simple. First, it's that he started strong. And you'll see that this kind of follows a lot of Christians in your walk with the Lord, that so often we start strong and then we struggle, then we stumble. Abraham stumbled many times, but in the long run he was strengthened in faith. So we begin, Genesis chapter 12, where he starts strong. And we just want to read the first three verses at first. Now the Lord said to Abram, now Abram was his name in the beginning. God changes it later on. Abraham means father or even exalted father. Abraham means father of nations. So the Lord said to Abram, get out of your own country from your family, and from your father's house. That's pretty clear. Pick up and leave. You've been there 75 years. You're going to move. And, uh, and to a land that I will show you. Now, so here he it First off, he says, uh, I want you to leave. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. Abraham, I, I understand. That's all you know. That is all you've ever known. And at 75, you're probably retired and ready to just enjoy life. I want you to now get up out of your comfort zone and I will do six things. So here he says, number one, I'm going to lead you. Because there he says, I'll, I'll to a land that I will show you. Number two, I'll make you a great nation. Number three, I'll bless you. And then I'll make your name great. You shall be a blessing. Finally, verse number six, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's why to this day, I want to be a blessing to the nation Israel. God will bless us. There is peace for those who pray for thee of Israel in Psalm 122. So here's the journey. He's going to get out of his comfort zone. Think of what this means. So in in verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now he wasn't supposed to. This is a little bit of partial obedience because he said, leave your family behind. So he brings Lot, ends up being a major headache later on. Abram was 75 years old uh, when he departed from Haran. Haran was actually a little speed bump along the way. That was another partial disobedience, partial obedience. Then his brother's son, that would be Lot, and all their possessions had gathered in the people whom he had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan, and Abraham passed through the land. So he's going around. He didn't just stop in one spot. He placed as far as Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moriah. And the Canaanites were there. Remember, the Canaanites were their bitter enemies in years to come. So here's what's going on. He's 75 years old, right? uh, How do you think he broke this news to Sarah? I mean, how would you? How would you go? Because you have to understand, they're in the land of Ur, all ancient Babylon. It is given over to idols and idol worship. So there's many gods around. And here's Abram trying to follow the Lord. And How do you break it to your wife? We're leaving. We're dropping everything. Say goodbye to your family. Say goodbye to your friends. Say goodbye to the shopping centers you know. Say goodbye to your home. We're up and going. Now, how would you propose that to your bride? Especially if you're 75 years old. How do you think, how do I think my wife would, would receive that? I don't think she would. She would say, write me when you get there. Send me a postcard. But it's what's interesting, Sarah, it, it, we're in our Ohana groups, uh, Right now, we're in 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Sarah called Abram Lord. She was in such submission. Yes, Lord. Uh, a word of advice on Valentine's Day, don't try this at home, okay? I've tried it. It doesn't work. Say, well, well Sarah said, yes, Lord. And Karen goes, well, my name's not Sarah. <laughs> so... Uh, Hey, Tyler Nakamura's marriage is such. I wonder if it works in his house. But uh, she called him Lord. What an amazing example of if you believe God spoke to you and you think we're supposed to leave our comfort zone, I'm with you, Lord. And then some might have to leave family and friends. So this is in our application. For some of us, it might be a geographical uh, change of location. To where actually you're going to have to leave family and friends others it might be more of a spiritual relocation to where actually you've been in this place for a long time you just haven't been salt or light and to get out of your comfort zone means man i got to bring up my my convictions as a christian i got to bring up what the bible says about these situations of of you know and there's a list of them but but for some Leaving your comfort zone means speaking up right where you are. So here's your comfort zone. It's that place where you don't want to leave or you don't want get to get stirred up. You're basically saying, Lord, you can have me, but just leave that place alone. Don't stir up that part of my life. So then there's altars that Abraham built. There's actually four mentioned. We'll, we'll do two right now. In verse 6, it says, um, I'm sorry, not verse 6, uh, verse 7. So the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land." There he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8, he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west side and Ai on the east. Remember, Ai is that first place where Joshua would experience defeat. So he's right between those two cities. And there he built another altar and he built it to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord so here's two altars that are mentioned uh, an altar place is a place where I'm meeting with God it's a fresh surrender it's a place of worship it's a place not my will but thy will be done I, 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 at the youth group they always call it doing business with God when the message has just been brought forth and you realize I'm not where I'm supposed to be and then there's this time of worship and we call it the altar time. We're going to do that today at the end of this message. Where it, it might be a fresh surrender. It might be a first-time surrender. But here he is like, Lord, the, so his first one is there. It's time of thanks. He's going, I'm going to build an altar because I'm so thankful we made it. We have all these possessions, all these people and flocks and everything. And, Lord, I thought it was impossible to get here without getting robbed or ripped off or, or just that. We die on the way, but thank you. You called us to this place, you delivered. His second altar was one of prayer. Okay, now we're here. Now what? What would you have us do? And so it's another time where he builds an altar and prays. So I'm asking you, what do you think it takes to build an altar? You ever think that through? I'm thinking hard work. I'm thinking heavy rocks. Because an altar... Ultimately, it was a place you would burn an offering on top of it. You don't want to make it out of wood. And so I'm looking at all the rocks in here. And, oh, Israel has a ton of rocks. I would think the Samoans here in Hawaii would make a great altar. Because the way they make the rock walls is incredible. And they're always flat on the top. And I watch them. And I go, how do they do that? But I notice it's a lot of hard work. It's done on purpose. It's a time I'm setting this time apart for the Lord, and I'm gonna worship him. I'm gonna meet him right here. I've never built an altar. I'm suspecting you haven't either, but there's times I feel I might as well have. There are times in my life where I had this fresh surrender, or I was became wholly devoted to him, or it's a place of renewal. And another thing about an altar is it's cool because you can look back on that time and realize, wow, I met with God there at that altar. So from there, he gets stumbled. Remember the first time he started strong? Second part of our outline, he, he stumbled. So beginning in verse 10, there's three ways he stumbles here. Then there was a famine in the land. Wait a minute, I just got to the promised land and there's no food. Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land, and, and it came to pass uh, when, when he was entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, she, she had her name changed also, the, both Sarai and Sarah pretty much mean princess. Indeed, I, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance, guys. She's at least 65 years old. So if you want a picture of what Sarah must look at, just look at my wife. Uh, it's a sign of a good husband, I always say. Therefore, it will happen when, this Egyptians, when the Egyptians see you, Sarah, that they'll say, uh, this is his wife, and they'll kill me, so they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may dwell well with me uh, for your sake, and I could live because of you. So here he's saying, first it was a surprise. There's a famine in the land. Uh, now, wait, 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 wait. This is God's promised land. And I arrived, we went hundreds of miles over the desert. I'm not real thrilled with the journey, but now we get here and the promised land, I see the land, I don't see the promise. I was expecting food, is that too much to ask, Lord? And so, uh, you think he wanted to go back home at this point? Wouldn't you, if you think, okay, we're gonna move here and you get there and everything falls apart. Well, we know that he might have been tempted to, fall, to go home in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember, that's the, the hall of faith chapter. This is what it says about Abraham and Sarah. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. By faith, he dwelt in the land, of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents. Sorry. <laughs> That's really not an option for when I'm 75? I'm hoping to get beyond the tent-dwelling stage. So he's dwelling in tents with Isaac, that's his firstborn. Jacob, that's his grandson. Heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He's going, you know what? My ultimate goal is not here on earth. I'm waiting for something a lot better. Matter of fact, the only piece of land that Abraham owned in the promised land was where he was buried. That's all he possessed, but he claimed it in faith. I know that God has spoken to me. I know this is what we're supposed to do. So his first stumble was, oh gosh, there's no food. His second one is, hey, uh, Sarah, I got this thing. Why don't you just say you're my sister? You're beautiful. Now, I bet he started with that. You are so beautiful. Oh, you, I love when you say that. Yeah, you, you know what? You're the prettiest woman in the room. And then just milking her. And then, then he goes, uh, do you want me around any longer? Of course I want you around. Well, just tell him you're my sister. Because if not, they're going to kill me so they can marry you. Now, technically, He's correct. Because this is not the only time he tells this lie. He does it again when he's busted the second time in Genesis 20. He says, well, technically, she is my sister. We have the same father, but a different mother. So she's my half-sister. But whatever happened to just, why don't you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? They leave off the so help you God. But in a court of law, then when you go to testify, maybe you've done this, And still, I remember putting my hand on the Bible. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. I want everybody in the courtroom to take that. The defense attorney, the prosecuting attorney, the judge, can we all say, I want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This trial will be over in a half hour. But no, just the witness. And then they try and trick them into saying this or that. But here... He's going, ah, can you share a half-truth? Because you're my half-sister. Now, it's interesting. I know a gal who I will not name by name. But she told me when she was a teenager, she would tell these half-truths. She would tell her mom and dad, I'm going to the movies tonight. they go, great. She, literally, she would go to the movie, paid to get in sit down for one minute, get back up, get her a refund, and go to a party. So her mom the next day was, how was the movie? Great. Technically, that one minute was awesome. But the rest was a party. Her mom should have asked, how did it end? And she'd be in a big trouble. But I won't name her by name. I just, I know her pretty good. The thing is, the third thing he does, remember he stumbles a bunch, The third thing is he's sent away by an unbeliever. An unbeliever rebukes the father of the faith, get out of here, get out of here. you you know how how close I was to sinning? Do you know what the position you put your wife in? Are you serious, father of faith? You, You annoy me and he just kicks him out of the land. So that's, he started well, then he stumbled but then he's strengthened by faith. So now we're in chapter 15, verse 1. And in chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Don't be afraid of what? Of the armies you've been facing? Of the pharaohs? Abimelech is coming up? Don't be afraid of them. I'm with you. What are you so afraid of? I mean, you're you're exceedingly great reward. Meaning, what I've done in your life so far is nothing compared to what's ahead. He's not just talking about here on earth. I think Abraham's got a really special position in heaven as the father of the faith. Uh, Here he's going, okay, Lord, (laughs) we still don't have kids. I mean, you're promising me. A lot of kids and a father and all this. Uh, it's been a while, and we don't have any kids yet. So look at verse 4. The word of the Lord came to him saying, this one, meaning Eliezer, somebody, he said, well, I guess right now someone born in my house, like even a servant, he'll be the heir. He goes, no, 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 it's not him. This one shall not be your heir, but, but one who shall, will come to you from your own body shall be your heir now think that through he's going you know what your own body is going to have this child he didn't say sarah's body yet so abraham's thinking okay it's uh uh, up to me uh somehow god's going to pull this off and so look at what happens then then he brought him outside and said look now toward heaven count the stars if you're able to number them no He said to him, so shall your descendants be. You'll never be able to count them all. And here's one of the most famous verses in the Bible, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. The major point here is, this is before Abraham does anything like circumcision, you know, which is a sign that he's entered this covenant with God. It's anything like, it's just a belief. I'm putting my faith In you and your word, and God says, good to go. You are now declared righteous. It's very interesting because in the New Testament, we'll see that's what we do with Jesus Christ. It's not a result of our works or how much we gave or who who we reached out to. It's trusting in Jesus Christ. So then we come to chapter 16. Remember, broad strokes, folks. Chapter 16 is Hagar, the, the Egyptian handmaiden, or the hand servant, the maid servant. And uh, so Sarah comes up with this great idea. In chapter 16, verse 3, it says, 10 years have passed. How long do you wait for God to, to perform what he promised you? I mean, what if he says, I'm going to give you a, a spouse, but he doesn't say when? Or he says, I'm going to give you a house or I'm gonna give you that job. But he doesn't say when. And 10 years, you go, you know what? I don't think I heard him right. I'm not sure what he's saying, but I think I know what he didn't say. I don't think it's right. 10 years. Lord, I'm banking on this. So Sarah has this brilliant idea in verse two. What do you say we help God fulfill his promise? And she refers to a tradition in the land, you know, a custom. That if the wife doesn't provide a child, you can have one of your servants this is not going to work in your house or my house, OK? But you can have one of your maidservants come in, have relations with her, and her offspring would be Hanai, it would be adopted by the, the mom. And it's basically she's going, "Look, 10 years. We've tried. We've given it our all. Maybe, and God said it's through your body. So maybe it's, and it made sense. I mean, so what what goes on here, though, in the New Testament, in Galatians and in Romans, we're going to get into Romans after Genesis. Hagar is, and all this whole offspring of what she's, it's called a work of the flesh. And it's contrasted with a work of the spirit. It's a son, a child of the flesh, versus a child of the promise. And it all boils down to this decision here in in chapter 16 of Genesis. Let's help God out, fulfill his promise. We'll just give it the old college try. We'll just do our best. And so Abraham went along with it. And Hagar gets pregnant. And so the byproduct is Ishmael, who becomes the father of all the Muslims, all the Arabs, let's say. And that's why they think, no, he's the firstborn from Abraham. He's, he should have the rights. But we'll find out next week. We're going to do a sermon called A Love Story in chapter 22 and in chapter 24. We see this love story where God says, uh, Abraham, take Isaac, your son. Your only son? See, God doesn't recognize our works of the flesh. So, in chapter 17, Abraham is now 99 years old. Okay, what happened back there? Uh, You know, that's like uh, 24 years ago now. And here God says, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me. And you go, that's pretty strict. What's that supposed to mean? It means present your whole body. I need your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Remember, that's the greatest commitment. So when he says, I want you to walk before me, blameless, is, is give me a total commitment here. Now, what happens is in chapter, uh, chapter 17, verse 5, there's a name change for the official from Abram, father or exalted father, to Abraham, father of nations, father of many. And then he's still going, I don't have a kid. So in chapter, let's go to chapter 17. Verse, four, or verse 10, it's this ritual, this uh, sign of the covenant. Verse 10, this this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Male child, not female child. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and you, it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old, that's when vitamin K is at its you know, peak and then, it will heal and blood clotting and all that. Every male in your generation who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who's not your descendant, he who is born in your house and brought with your money must be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Verse 14, and the uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh and his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, it's interesting the everlasting promises he's given to Abraham. Here's one as a sign of the covenant. Another one was an everlasting covenant of Israel. The land of Canaan, the promised land, is the Jewish land forever. It's still in effect today. Don't try and take it away. So, the sign of the the circumcision. and guys, I've done this before. You have not lived until you get up in front of a lot of people and talk about circumcision. I mean, you don't even know how happy it is to do this kind of stuff. But the question is, why that part of the male anatomy? I mean, come on. If it was on the elbow, everybody could see it. You know, it'd be, oh, he's one of them. But it's in this private part. Why? Because God wants every part of me every part of my being, the whole thing. Remember he said, Abraham, make a whole commitment to me. He doesn't want something surface level. He's not a Sunday morning God. He wants it all. And so he chose a part that would be painful. He chose a part that would be reminded every day, I'm in this covenant with God. He chose a part that would be sacrificial. But again, he doesn't want anything surface level. He wants the heart. So in the New Testament, it's interesting. We have water baptism is a sign for Christians. Jesus commanded it. And this, you know, follow me, you'll be baptized. If you're a Christian, you haven't been baptized, you need to be. It's a commandment, it's not a suggestion. But the thing is, some people trust in the sign of baptism more than the God of the baptism. Just like the Jews trusted in the sign of the covenant rather than trust in the God of the covenant. The whole idea is you're entering this permanent relationship with me. There's no looking back. It's going to affect everything. And in water baptism, you can ask some people who go to church devotedly, and you ask them a very simple question. When did you get saved? And instead of saying, on such and such a day I asked Christ into my heart, they'll go, I was water baptized. Whoa, uh, that's not what I asked. Are you trusting in a sign rather than trusting in a Savior? So I like to say, I was saved when I asked Jesus Christ into my heart, all right? It's a big difference. So Genesis 17, 16, now he turns to Sarah and goes, you're going to have a baby too. It's not just Abraham's body. It's Abraham plus Sarah's body. You guys are going to have a baby. Abraham's 99. She is 89. 10 years younger. Mission Impossible sounds like, you know. (laughs) I think that's why they're laughing. (laughs) God, you had your chance. Cute. Ain't going to happen. 99 years old, 89 years old, it's not going to happen. And so instead, Abraham laughs at God's promise. You know, that, 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 that's, that's cute. Then he says, may Ishmael live before you. He's offering up his works of the flesh. He's going, hey, look at what I did 13 years ago. I did this a long time ago. I love my son. I've spent all these years pouring my life into Ishmael, speaking to you, uh, speaking about you to Ishmael. I love what you're doing. Hey, let Ishmael live before you. God doesn't recognize that. He doesn't recognize the work of my flesh or of your flesh, meaning I don't have to do all these things to appease God. Meaning a lot of Christians, a lot of believers can spend their life doing works of the flesh and thinking they're in there rather than works of the Spirit, the promises fulfilled by God alone, and that's what we'll be rewarded for. And and the part of the altar time today is how much of my life is just the work of the flesh? How much of my life is just me trying to fulfill God's promises and me trying to do all this work for Him rather than obedience, submission, and worship And Lord, you promised me to do these things. You promised me an abundant life. You promised me fruitfulness. I'm yours. So he doesn't recognize that. He doesn't recognize our our works of the flesh. And again, next week, we'll see it. Take Isaac, your son, your only son. I don't recognize Ishmael. All right? Now, Genesis 18. (laughs) Now Sarah's laughing. (laughs) She's going... That old guy, he ain't going to work. Me, it ain't going to work. So she's laughing, and that's when God asks that wonderful question, is anything too hard for the Lord? We'll get into that more in a minute, but is there anything too hard for the Lord? Here's the deal. Genesis 21, Isaac, whose name literally means laughter, is born, just like he promised, because a promise is a promise when it comes to God. Okay? Now... Where's Jesus in Genesis? You ever wonder that? Where's he in, uh, and if you want to get ahead, turn to Romans chapter 4. Where's Jesus in Genesis? He's part of the genealogy of Abraham. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 1. Without Abraham, we're going to have a problem getting to Jesus. But more so, he's the seed of promise that's, that is promised in Genesis chapter 22. In verse 18, it says, in your seed singular in your seed nations of the earth shall be blessed now Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 3 this is Jesus in Genesis so in Galatians chapter 3 he says you know seed is singular it's not plural and it's Christ it's Christ in Genesis so here's the way to be blessed with forgiveness is through Jesus Christ how about this and he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So he who believes, she who believes in Jesus Christ, God says, you're forgiven. I'm believing that all my sins were thrust upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's when he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What have I done? I'm not, it's, it's their sins. Mike's sins were just thrown on you. Can't look at that. I only judge it. And so by putting my faith in that, Wow. <laughs> It's you. It's what Christ has done, and that way I can be declared righteous. So here's the deal. What promise do you need to receive from God this morning? You can fill in a blank. For some, it's financial. Some, it's direction. Some, it's relational. Uh... Remember Abraham was told, okay, this one thing you need you need to get out of your comfort zone. And I put that, I'm not suggesting everyone here is in their comfort zone. But I am suggesting that's our tendency. I don't like going camping for at 75 years old for the rest of my life, dwelling in tents. I'd rather AC, refrigerator, TV, nice bed. I like my comfort zone. And so, this morning, he might be saying, you need to move on geographically from your family and friends or spiritually to stand up where you are. But for years, you've been there, but there's no salt. no one even knows you're a Christian. You've never said, hey, let's pray. Even over food, like, hey, let's, let's, let's thank the Lord for this food. Now, Your comfort zone is that place where you don't want to leave, you don't want to get stirred up, you just say, Lord, don't touch that. Okay? How to receive God's promise, and this is where uh, Romans chapter 4 comes in, verses 19 through 22, there's four ways, four keys, how Abraham and Sarah received the promise. This is in the New Testament. Romans 4, verse 19, and not being weak in faith He did not consider his own body. It's already dead since he's about 100 years old. The deadness of Sarah's womb, she's been way beyond childbearing age. Number two, he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Instead, he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And number four, being fully convinced that what God had promised, God is able to perform. So here's the four keys. You'll find there's two did nots and two dids, all right? First did not, he didn't consider his own body. He's just dead. And and so often the very first thing we think of when we hear God's promise is we begin to list our resources and our strength and what we have to offer. We tend to categorize things. Well, this is simple, this is a little bit difficult, and this is impossible. Well, we've already said for them, he goes, Lord, this is mission impossible on my part but i don't want to consider my own body you're the one gave the promise so kind of your problem if you will secondly it's he did not waver at the promise of god it's easy to waver it's easy to get to the promised land and look around what why is there a famine maybe i didn't hear god right maybe we should make a u-turn Maybe it was my old age. I'm sorry." "And he goes, "No, no, no. I, I'm not going to waver at the promise of God. I'd rather trust in God's promise than in my feelings. Can we park it there for a second? I don't want to show of hands. You ever been there? You get halfway into it, you get going, and instead of continuing, you look around and goes, well, I think there's a famine in this land, and you start to waver. Did God really say that? Did I hear him right? What is he saying? Abraham's going, you know what? God's going to speak to me, and I'm not wavering. You could get into James chapter 1. It talks about the faith. You don't go back and forth like a ship tossed to and fro at sea. The third thing is now we're getting into the dids. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. How do you do that? Because if it was just... Strengthening in faith, you go, if it was a muscle, I would exercise it. You know, if it, if it was working out, I could do that or jog. But I, how, what do you mean, strengthen in faith? How do you do that? He give glory to God. By that, you go, um, Lord, I thank you for what you promised to do. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in my marriage. I, I praise you for what you're doing in the circumstances. I am so happy that though it's so bleak here on earth and Note to self, it's bleak here on earth. I am so happy you are in control. And guess what? You're strengthening yourself in faith, giving glory to God. So I want you to picture this. You're going back to Abraham's time before he has any kids. And you see Abraham off just praising God, just having a little Pentecostal moment. And somebody goes and goes, hey, what's with the old man singing over there? What's he into? What's he drinking? What's he so happy about? And somebody goes, oh, well, that's Abraham. Yeah, he's just thanking God for all his kids. Really? He's 99. How many kids does he have? Oh, none yet. He's got one it didn't count. But, uh, and what's his name? Father of nations. <laughs> At 99. <laughs> just leave him alone. That's what too much sun will do to you. He's just having, he's having more fun than me. But that's the idea. He's strengthening in faith, giving glory to God. Lord, even in this bleakest situation, I don't see the end, you do. Life is like a parade. You see it from mountaintop. You see the beginning from the end. I just see what's right in front of me. I'm gonna trust you who sees the whole picture from eternity's view. And I'm gonna praise you. What would it be, I'm assuming some of you are here already, that your circumstances don't have anything to do with your praise and worship? Because you enter this room, you go, Jesus is king of kings, he is worthy, he is, you know, gracious, I just received new mercies this morning. As opposed to, how many came in here this morning just so weighed down? With what's going on in your life, so way down with the nation and all oh, that's going on and, and the COVID nineteen, we're all over it. How many would just come in and it just affected your worship? I mean, you kind of gave it. Yeah, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Just rather than praise God from whom, all... and you go, okay, there's a believer. What's he so happy about? God's promises. Finally, the fourth key, being fully convinced that what God promised, God's going to bring it to pass in that sense, well, it's God's problem. He's going to perform it. Here's an old quote. The difficulty of a task must be measured by the ability of the agent performing the task. If it's you or me, it ain't going to happen. If it's God, if he's the agent doing the task, it's going to happen. I want to end on this. And we're going to go into altar time real soon if the worship team can get ready. He built altars. All right? There's no need to build an altar this morning. We don't have a bunch of rocks and stuff, but there's a need to lay down on one. Remember when God said, I want you to walk before me and be blameless. I want you to give me everything, complete, wholehearted surrender. That's what takes place at an altar. Now, Romans 12 verse one says this, it's about the New Testament altar. I beseech you therefore brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That it's, um, it's holy, it's acceptable to God, it's your reasonable service of worship. Back up a bit. I beseech you therefore brethren, by the mercies of God. Lest right away you go, and it's not going to happen. Look at my life. You know, I'm so inconsistent. It's not by your inconsistencies, it's by the mercies of God, which are new every morning. And right here, right now, God has made a promise to the believer, and it's an everlasting promise. And it's not up to you, He will deliver. But He wants a wholehearted commitment. At the same point, he wants one hundred percent surrender to Him, Lord. You are for me. So right now, we're going to have some altar time, and by that I mean some worship. It's not dependent on our circumstances; it's dependent on God and His promises. And it might for you. I don't know. It might be a time of you've been struggling with something so much, and it's giving you mind games, and, and and it's just time. Hey, lay down the altar. Some are going through financial stress. It's just killing you. Lay it at the altar. Ask God for wisdom, for provision. He's made a commitment to you as a believer. It might be, come on. You've been struggling with some some sin? Lust, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Could you lay it down at the altar? How about bitterness? How about gossip? How about revenge? Where, Man, I just want to... Now's the time. Lay it down at the altar. You know, if you want, you can come on up here. Just watch out. There's wires here that we're not trying to trip you, but just be careful. You want to kneel down? Raise your hands or sit down? I don't care. It's a time of getting right with God. Let's stand.